Welcome to Witch Talks, a series for spiritual seekers, witches, and enlightened souls. I'm Hannah the Suburban Witch, an intuitive tarot reader, astrologer, and eclectic witch, and I hope you're ready to get up close and personal with your favorite witches. In this episode, I'm chatting with Casey Giovinco, an expert in yogic witchcraft. Casey is a yoga teacher, chief elder of the Gala witchcraft tradition, and resident witch at a holistic center. I'm so looking forward to sharing more of Casey's work and wisdom with you today. So let's get into it. He is joining us via Zoom all the way from North Carolina. Hey, Casey, welcome to the show. Hello, how are you? I'm fantastic. And how are you on this lovely day? I am wonderful. Thank you. That's great. It's so great to have you here. Do you want to start off by telling us a little bit more about the work that you do in the witchy world? Oh, my God. Okay. Um, so I kind of go in a lot of directions with my witchiness, right? Um, I was trained as a kind of initiatory British witch, and um, I come off of Sybil Leak, or rather, my coven comes off of Sybil Leak, and I, I learned witchcraft in a very heteronormative kind of structure. Now, we're not as hard, hard about that as some other traditions, but we do, initially, the tradition that I was a part of does do male, female, female, male initiations. And I realized somewhere down the line as I became a third degree and I needed to start exploring my witchcraft with my sexuality, that I loved what I was doing but I needed a way to translate that for gay men, right? And so I started to study what I called the male mysteries. And I, I really didn't know what I was getting into initially because it was just all out of this one question. Where is the gay face of the horned God, right? Because every time I go to an event, every time I go to a festival or something else, people are talking about the horned God is omnisexual. But in Wicca and witchcraft, we really kind of only reference him in relation to the goddess. And so I was like, where's the horned god's lover? And my teacher was really clever about it. He goes, you should research that. So I did, right? And that led me into a bunch of stuff that I never anticipated doing. And then one thing led to another. I started gala by initiating the first group of gay witches who asked me to train them. And my teacher and I kind of worked with the material that I was trained in and got rid of the heteronormativity that was so useful in like the 1900s, but is no longer something that we really, it, that's a hard way to say it. It's no longer something as prevalent within our own group. Does that make sense? It's it still does. Valid. It still makes, it's still useful to people who need it but we needed another way to do it. And so we looked at what our tradition was doing and then we modified it to be more inclusive for gay men and added in the things that gay men needed to see. Does that make sense? It does. Is it gay men specific or is it gay women as well and bisexual people, pansexual? Oh, no, so I, I, okay. So my history is kind of crazy. I don't know if you've read Garbed in Green or A Dangerous Wisdom. No, I haven't. All right. So in Garbed in Green, I talk about my history. Um, I, I experienced a lot of trauma around dating gay men. 
And most of that trauma came from actual gay men and our interactions with each other. I really never experienced trauma surrounding being gay from the straight community. Most of my stuff happened because I came out and gay men were a little difficult for me. And so I had a really skewed view of what the gay community was about and how broken we are. And it hurt me to see how broken we are. And I made a conscious choice as I was studying the male mysteries and comparing it to my more traditional branch of witchcraft. And I was, I was looking at how can this fix that broken piece? And so one of the things that I recognized very early on was that in order to heal and in order to fix these pieces that are problematic within the cisgender gay community, we have to have a safe space and a sacred space that's just us. So that's not to exclude other people. It's more along the lines of, I think everybody is valid and I think everybody is magical and, and has power and deserves to feel special about who they are. But when you're trying to heal a community that's been damaged and a community that's been assaulted and battered, you have to look at their specific set of circumstances and you can't do that while also universalizing. So I, I looked at that from the perspective of how do I be inclusive? How do I do these things while also healing? And what I came up with was let me do this for cisgender gay men because as a cisgender gay man, I know how I've been hurt. And I know how the witchcraft and the magic and the yoga, right? Like we're also talking yoga here, how all of these things have helped me personally. So I can reproduce that for other people who have been through similar struggles. But if somebody who is trans or somebody who is a woman who wants to do what I'm doing, wants to get involved in things like this, then I have the tradition I came from, right? And I also have all of the experience in setting up gala that I can help them with to reproduce it in a way that's authentic to them without telling them what their own struggles are. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. And I agree. There are certain circumstances where people may need to be, and it's not exclusionary. It is more so healing a specific thing that everyone has in common, which not everyone would have in common if you open it up a little bit more. Right. So definitely understand that. All right. So that's, that's what you do in the witchy world, which is fantastic. Now, how long have you been practicing witchcraft? When did that oh start? My God. <laughs> For years. I, I, um, I didn't really start practicing witchcraft until about high school. Um, but that's not fair to say either, because at that point, my version of practicing witchcraft was really reading books. Right. And like, occasionally I tried some stuff. I don't really count my official entry into witchcraft until about 2009 when I made the conscious decision to go from just trying it on my own to finding somebody to initiate me and lead me through the process into becoming a priest of the old religion. Fantastic. So about since 2009, I think, is mm. the best answer to that. Lovely. And when did you start yoga? Was that before or after witchcraft? So yoga was about the same time that I actually started reading the books. 
Um, I've, I got into yoga because I got into wrestling. That seems like a really strange mix. <laughs> well, it, so it is. Um, I've told this story a few times, but it's a fun story, so I'll tell it again. I was really good at, so in America, we have the presidential fitness testing thing, or at least we did for a, a couple decades, right? So I was really good at the presidential fitness testing. I was incredibly flexible. I was incredibly strong. I, compared to other kids my age, excelled in all of these physical bodily feats. And I climbed ropes. I did a VC reach. I ran a mile in like six minutes. Like I, I was fairly athletic, but I was also really awkward. And I was really insecure because I wasn't out. I felt like anytime I moved or I talked, I revealed myself as gay. So I always hid my athletic prowess and kind of sheltered inside myself. But in the moment where I was being tested in gym class, I couldn't hide. And so my, my natural skill set came out and my gym teacher said, have you ever thought about wrestling? I was like, no, no, I've never thought about that. And she said, well, I think you should. And I'm going to talk to the wrestling coach and give him your name. I was like, please don't do that. I like, I'm not comfortable. Please don't do that to me. Right. And she said, well, I'm going to do it because the wrestling team needs people. And I think this would be good for your self-confidence. So the captains of the wrestling team, one of whom I had a crush on and was really intimidated to be approached by, mm -hmm. came up to me and like held me up against a locker and were like, you're going to wrestle. And I was like, mm, I'm really not. And they're like, no, you're going to wrestle. And if I don't see you in wrestling practice today, I'm going to hunt you down tomorrow. And so I went to wrestling practice because I was afraid for my life and I went home to see my family and mom was like, so what's going on? I said, well, here's what happened. And she goes, I don't want you to wrestle. I'm like, well, why? <clears throat> I think it would actually be pretty good for me. She said, I really don't want you to do that. They, it's not healthy. Um, they're always constantly trying to make people drop weight so that matches can be won. And I, I'm not okay with that. And backstory, my mom was in a, an aerobics instructor, she did yoga, she was a personal trainer. Like my mom was invested in physical fitness while I was growing up. So she kind of knew what she was talking about, but I begged and pleaded because number one, my crush was interested. And number two, I really did think it would be useful in getting over some of these things. And after I went to that first practice, I kind of liked it. So, I, I begged and pleaded with her and she said, all right, I'll make you a deal. You can wrestle, but you're never allowed to drop weight. You can lose weight progressively over time or you can gain weight progressively over time, but you are not going to be starving yourself, spitting in cups, wearing trash bags to lose weight. Like you're not dropping weight to win a match. I said, okay. She Smart said, advice. I thought so. Mm -hmm. I agree with her. Um, I want you to start working out at the gym so that your bone structure is protected by muscle. I said, okay, I can do that. And I want you to do yoga. And I was like, all right, I'll try it. 
So long story short, I kind of fell in love with yoga the same way I fell in love with wrestling, but yoga had a longer lifespan because wrestling stopped. I wasn't good enough at wrestling to do it in college. And then there's nowhere to do it after college. So I started yoga just to be a better wrestler. I love that. And then that's just stuck with you. Did you go to classes with your mom when you started? Oh God, no. <laughs> no. Oh, that would, I, would have been such a fun bonding moment. <laughs> oh no, I was a typical teenager. I did not. <laughs> I can just imagine. So where, at what point along that journey, once you'd, you'd started yoga, you were reading your witchcraft books, when did you realize that there were some similarities between the two and that they could be melded together? So I didn't really recognize it until after I had started training in my tradition, right? Like, so when I talk about the tradition that I came from, I come from the Horsa tradition of witchcraft. That's where I was taught. There's a offshoot of that tradition called Sacred Pentagraph. And it's kind of like an offshoot, like Gala is an offshoot. So Gala is something I developed out of what I learned from Horsa and Sacred Pete. But when I started training with my coven in the horses stuff, I was like, you know, this is awful familiar. Like a lot of the stuff we're doing here is awful familiar to me. And I was, I was looking at that and trying to figure it out. And it didn't really register with me until I was in a yoga class and I was doing Shavasana and I started to use some of the stuff that I was being taught in the coven. And I was like, oh, this is really interesting. And then my magic was working just as well when I was home without the coven support as it was when I was with the coven. And I was like, okay, that's different. That never happened while I was reading books. I don't know what I was doing wrong. Um, but the yoga really kind of made the difference between my personal practices success and just kind of dabbling in it. it. It also connected how I was being taught witchcraft by the coven to a thing that I could rationalize and understand and integrate back into my normal life. I love that it's almost like bringing these teachings into a, a bodily action as well, like yeah. kinetic, kinetic learning. It, it sort of solidifies it on another level. Mm-hmm. And what do you think are the, the key similarities between the two? Like what are the main, I guess, themes that we can see represented in both yoga and witchcraft? Okay, so that's a tough question, right? <laughs> I'm here for that's, the tough questions. <laughs> that's a tough question because it kind of puts me in the position of being the spokesperson for both mm -hmm. traditions. And I don't know that I'm qualified to do that. Um, I'll tell you what I think is common in both and why I keep them distinct and separate, right? So I think witchcraft is a beautiful, magical, spiritual practice all on its own. I think yoga is equally beautiful and wonderful and spiritual all on its own. But I've never merged the two together because I want to be respectful of where both are at and where they come from. However, as I like have those parallel traditions, right? And they're, they are really parallel for me. 
I do notice certain similarities in them. Like both of them start and end with meditation, right? Being able to go deeper into your own reflections and your own mind and learning to differentiate yourself from your ego or reality from Maya, right? And so they've got these really wonderful places where they agree. And over and over and over again, if you treat them as independent, beautiful systems and you're authentic and fair to both of them, you can see these places of agreement measure up time and time and time again. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And yeah, it, yeah. I think it helps as well that I've, I've um, been reading your book as well, which is fantastic. And it has so many great references and other books that you can, I guess, offshoot and read if you want to learn more about different parts of it. Uh, but I did find it very interesting, the the use of elements, for example, in both yoga and witchcraft. And, and as you were talking, I also had the thought, you know how there's that, uh, I guess, say not a saying, but to be a witch, you have to practice witchcraft. Witchcraft is a practice, right? Something that you do. I guess to say that you do yoga, it's something that you have to do as well. It's physical things you have to actually put into practice. And it doesn't matter if you do yoga once a month or every day, you can still say, I practice yoga. And same with witchcraft, depending on life circumstances, you can cast a spell once a month or every day and you're still practicing witchcraft. I can see those practice elements there, but then also the actual elements as in earth, air, fire, water, and ether or spirit, which you mentioned, you do a whole chapter in the book about the two. Uh, and there was a little exercise in there that you included, which I have tried. And I wanted to share that because it's very, very fascinating where you mentioned that you can go into like a meditation space. And I did this during my yoga this week, whilst I was uh, in Shavasana. So I was lying there on the floor. If someone doesn't do yoga, it's lie down on the floor. That's all you do at the end of your practice. <laughs> Close your eyes, breathe um, before you come out of the practice. Okay. And so I used that time to imagine myself as, you know, connecting with the spirit of spirit, which is ether. And so you'd mentioned to imagine that your body is slowly becoming more and more transparent and lighter. And you can see through it almost like, and you use the term like a ghost, how you would see a ghost, which was really helpful for that visualization. So I did that, imagined that. And my body started vibrating, almost humming, very, very similarly to how I've had out-of-body experiences before that it's like a lifting up sort of feeling. It's a very intense and interesting, but I didn't have the, the dizziness. Sometimes when I have out-of-body experiences, I get dizzy, like something spinning, which is interesting. I don't know if other people have that as well, uh, but this this was just this vibrating, vibrating all through my body um, and that lifting up feeling. So I thought, oh, that's intriguing. I could use this. I can bring this into my, my practice somehow when I want to do an out-of-body experience. It was almost like a much faster way to get into that state. And have you, have you felt similar things when connecting with the elements using the two practices? Oh, yeah. Um, so what you described is a vibrating experience, right? I use that sometimes when doing a spell, right? So like, I can put myself in the frame of mind where we're talking about like in Shavasana, I can do it while treading the mill or doing other things to make the ritual happen. But it's that moment where that, where your body feels like it's vibrating, where I know I'm ready for like the actual magic. Mm. I, and I, in my own vernacular, 
I call it tapping the ether. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I've totally noticed exactly the same thing. I've, I've started to put it to practice in other activities of my actual spirituality. Yeah. And you've got other exercises in there for the other elements as well, which I can imagine being really, really useful depending on the the working or ritual that you're partaking in as well. Like I need to, you know, get in touch with the spirit of fire right now. This is the element that I need to be working for this particular spell. So I'm going to do that exercise and it gets me in the right frame of mind. So it was, it was really intriguing to, to have that, I guess, aspect or eye-opening moment when reading your book. Um, now for anyone out there that's listening that doesn't already have a yoga practice, do you have any tips if they're wanting to start one so they can begin combining it with their witchcraft? Please do not think you have to be flexible to do yoga. <laughs> so I've, like I said, I, I, I started yoga because I wanted to be a better wrestler and it was part of a trifold practice, right? Yoga, wrestling, weightlifting. I've continued the weightlifting and the yoga, even though I ditched the wrestling. Um, and over the past couple months, I've been really involved in like trying to bulk up because I've got a goal that I want to achieve that's kind of, it's not bodybuilding. I'm not claiming to do bodybuilding, but I've got a gym goal that I'm trying to achieve and it requires me to bulk up. Well, that necessarily makes my flexibility significantly impacted and poses that I used to do very easily are a real struggle for me right now. What I've had to kind of say to myself is it's okay not to be able to do this perfectly, right? Um, just even the act of doing it and focusing on the breath and being present in the moment is yoga. So we have this tendency to think if I'm not strong and I'm not flexible, I can't do yoga. And that's just totally not true. And yoga will help you in both those aspects anyway, help with your strength and help with your flexibility. Yeah. Over time it will. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> so cute. My daughter sometimes joins me when I'm doing yoga and usually joins me by crawling underneath me as I do downward dog or <laughs> lying on my back. But uh, this week she decided to try uh, a couple of poses with me and she actually said, mom, this hurts. And I said, does it hurt oh. or does it, does it feel like a, uh, where does it hurt? And she pointed to the back of her legs. We were just basically, um, you know, trying to get the chest to your knee that on yeah. one leg. Um, and I said, does it hurt or does it, where does it hurt? And she pointed behind her leg and I said, well, you know, ease off a little bit. That's called something feeling like a stretch. It can feel uncomfortable, but it's usually not a pain. If it's a pain, we absolutely stop. And then she's doing other ones. She goes, oh, I can feel the stretch. And now she's got this new word in her vocabulary. <laughs> It's oh, a stretch. I love that. It was so cute. Oh, so <laughs> that's been a beautiful uh, moment from this week. Um, but I did want to well, talk about. So well, in your... go off of that. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. To go yeah. off of that. So I used to tell people in class, is it discomfort or is it pain? Mm -hmm. Right. So you called the discomfort stretch, right? Yeah. I think that's wonderful. Yeah. Well, for me, I, I'm a dancer. I grew up, I did, oh, how long? I danced till I was 21, I think, about 21. Uh, so, and I started when I was four. So I used to dance wow. a lot in you know, tap and jazz and ballet and cheerleading and all of those fun things. And so we, I mean, stretching was just a part of my everyday life and knowing that feeling very intimately. 
But whilst my daughter does gymnastics, she's only four. So her gymnastics is, you know, walk along the beam or they do cat cow in gymnastics for their warm up and jump in the foam pit. Like it's not to the point where they're stretching and trying to increase their flexibility purposefully. Everything they do is like, quick, let's see if you can, you know, run along the wall to do this. And it's a fun way to build up those muscles that they'll need later. So Mm -hmm. she hasn't really been used to the terms that you would if you were doing say dance and things like that, where it was very specific. We are stretching, we are warming up these muscles to do these things. So she's still in that kid stage, but it's, it's fine. That's really cool. <laughs> like I, I wish more kids would do yoga or even just like the stretching stuff you're talking about. Yeah. That's there's, so cool. there's a fantastic YouTube channel, which is called cosmic kids yoga. And mm-hmm. it is fantastic so I'll put that on for her quite a lot and um, the girl in it uses a green screen and she'll do themed ones like there's frozen yoga so she'll pretend she's Elsa and you know has things shooting out of her hand like the ice at the end of her hand as she spins around there's ruby broomstick which is a little witchy story and you know (laughs) there's a there's a scary cat oh we do angry cat (laughs) you know there's it's really cute so it's a really great introduction. If anyone out there has kids that want to get into yoga, absolutely recommend that channel. It's really, really fun. Um, but in your book, you were talking about certain poses can be, say, grounding, like mountain pose is basically just standing up, but mountain pose is grounding. Some are expansive. Some are energy boosting. Some can be trauma releasing, especially uh, hip opening exercises. And this got me thinking about certain poses and how I could integrate that into my own workings. For example, potentially if I'm doing a bind, a binding on someone, um, then I could sit in a bind or a twist um, to have that symbolic meaning attached to it as well. Because I find witchcraft, at least for me, it's almost like layers of symbols, right? Mm-hmm. And then maybe do a, a chest opener whilst I'm doing my prosperity work, right? Because that's like opening it up and really expansive. It's it's brilliant, really, when you start seeing these other layers you can bring in with physical movement. Yeah. So the options for bringing them together seem limitless. Do you have a favorite pose or flow that prepares you for magical workings? No, I don't. Um Yoga is so fun for me because it's so ecstatic, right? Like even when I teach a yoga class, I generally don't plan the class. So I'll get to a space and I'll have like say 10 people in front of me and I'll, I'll just ask them, what do you want to do today? Like what hurts you? What are you struggling with? Emotionally, mentally, physically, where are you guys at? Like, tell me what your, what your life looks like and we'll plan a class for you. Um, and I kind of go with the flow. I mean, I know that's a funny like haha moment, but like I actually do kind of go with the flow. So most people generally tend to say they're carrying tension in their shoulders, their back, their hips. So a lot of my classes really focus on shoulders, back and hips. Um, people will talk a lot about the, the backs of their legs are really like tight, right? So the back, the hips, the legs. So like classes can be built up around that. As far as trying to compare one pose to another for my magical working, it really depends on what the working is. Like you said, right? Like for a binding, I might put myself in a twist, right? Um, For prosperity work, I might look at the heart opener or even something to deal with a solar plexus issue, right? Like places of power, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And I think that's, 
I think the beauty of the combination of these two paths is that they are both so robust on their own. You could be comparing and contrasting and working with them every day and for the rest of your life and never get to a point where you repeated yourself. Mm. Yeah, limitless, limitless. And it sounds like your classes that you do are very intuitive, like intuitive yoga. I love that. I well, okay, so there there's a story there. Do we have time for that story? Yes, yes, please tell. <laughs> so I am very, very type A sometimes in my life. I I like certain things very much like they are. Like my writing, I'm very structured. I wake up at 4 a.m. when writing a book and I write till 10. I go to the gym, I eat lunch, I take a nap, right? So certain parts of my life are very, very structured. When I'm learning something new, I tend to be very, very type A about learning it. Like, this is how you do it. This is the only way to do it. This is what I was taught. Let's learn it. And then after all the rules have been learned, now we can break them and be not type A about them, right? Mm -hmm. So I was in my RYT 200 training back in 2011. And I got to the point in the training where I had to teach a yoga class. And it was my first yoga class. And I was really nervous about it. And my teacher said, well, just draw the sequence out right? Like make little stick figures and let them be the stick figures that show you what pose you're going to so that you don't have to read it all, but like draw out stick figures on the page. And that can be your sequence. And I was like, okay, I can do this. So I spent four days planning the best sequence (laughs) I ever planned. Right. And I get to the class that night and she goes, can I see your sequence? I was like, sure. And she took it and then hid it from me. Oh, no. <laughs> and I was like, what am I doing? I need, I, I need that. And she goes, no, you don't. Just go in there and ask them what they want. And then teach them based on that. I was like, have you lost your mind? <laughs> oh, I think I might have cried. <laughs> I did cry after. But I was actually really good at it. I cried because I was like, oh my God, I got through that. And I was good at it. Mm-hmm. I didn't need to stress this much, but it was very unnerving. It was unnerving. And I, I struggled with it and it was very choppy through the whole class. I had a lot of ums and okay, give me a minute. Like, but it, it was a good experience to go through because it kind of taught me maybe I could be ecstatic even in the learning of things. And since then, I've really kind of forced myself not to be so type A about learning things. Mm-hmm. Um, but she forced me into this situation where I had no choice but to think on my feet. And it worked out really well. And then I found out that I actually liked teaching yoga classes better that way because it didn't have me so much in my rational mind. It let me engage people. It let me actually find out where they're at and build a rapport with them that turned this thing from what was just a physical exercise to them when they came in into a moment where they get to relax or into a moment where like this might be the best part of their day. So I found so many benefits from just meeting people where they're at in a yoga class that I can't argue with her philosophy. I've just learned it is what it is. 
I interrupt your listening pleasure to ask you if you're enjoying this podcast. I ask because this series is a labor of love. And if you like what you're hearing, consider signing up as a Patreon supporter to see its continued success. Not only will you receive exclusive access to my private Facebook group, but also monthly live readings and moon ritual worksheets. Head over to patreon.com forward slash suburban witchery to sign up now. And now back to the show. I love it. I've I'm trying to think if I've ever been to a yoga class where they've actually asked me what I wanted to learn. And I don't, I don't think I have. And I've done yoga classes in Perth when I lived in Perth here in Melbourne. Um, I've done them in Bali. I went to, oh my gosh, wow. the, yo- the yoga barn in Ubud in Bali is like the best experience. We did, <laughs> we did aerial yoga, which was wow the most fun I think I've ever had. I did it three, I did three classes in a day because I did the 6am one and was like, oh my goodness, I have to go back. So I dragged my husband, we're on our honeymoon. <laughs> I'm like, you have to come to a yoga class. He's like, oh, I'm not, it's not really my thing. I was like, trust me, this is so much fun. And we ended up doing two classes that day. <laughs> See, and now you've made me jealous because I've always wanted to do that, but I've never lived anywhere where aerial yoga was actually happening until I moved to Greensboro and then COVID. Oh. <laughs> So around COVID. Yeah. The, the place that I went to there. So yoga barn, it is like, I mean, this is like a, I can't even describe it's on the side of a hill and there's just all these amazing yoga studios built off the side, the most beautiful places you've ever seen surrounded by jungle and monkeys. And there's this like restaurant there and it's a, like a fully vegan restaurant, which was I'm vegan. So it was like right up my alley. And you feel so amazing when you have these like incredible foods straight after it doesn't feel heavy um, mm-hmm. it was just so much fun. They did, you know, these meditation sound retreats, like big sound healing, sound bath sessions, right in this like rooftop place. Like this place is amazing, but the aerial stuff is fun because you can, you can do so much with it. However, and the guy did say, when we started, he said, look, any pose that you do in, in aerial, it's going to be like what you do on, on land times 10. So every tiny movement that you change is like multiplied. So, and you do find that it's intriguing to feel it. Like if you go into like Sparrow, it's just like 10 times more than it is when you're on the ground and you change one little, you know, they'll come around and they go, okay, we'll move you this way or we'll change this slightly. And you're like, whoa, like you can really feel the difference even just with a minute change in movement because there's just like I don't know there's no ground holding you up. There's just gravity extra, I guess. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> don't know no, how to explain it. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. You've actually made me really jealous. I'm going to have to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's, it's just good fun as well. Cause you're kind of swinging around and doing all of that. It's, it's good fun. Um, now I did want to ask you as well, because in your book, you reference hermetic philosophy and theosophy frequently, which for those who are not up with those terms, hermetic philosophy is based on the teachings of Hermes Tresmegistus, which is a combination of the uh, Greek god Hermes with the Egyptian god Thoth. And it's the belief in the god as the all. Uh, and theosophy, which is a religion founded by Helena Blavatsky back in the late 19th century, uh, which teaches a deeper spiritual reality that is established through intuition, meditation, and transcending normal human consciousness. These both reference the ideas of Asian religions, such as Buddhism and Hinduism, which of course yoga forms a part of in Hinduism as well. So do you personally, do you identify as a hermeticist or a theosophist or were they just interesting ideas to pull from 
in your book? So, no, I don't. Um, <clears throat> I love both, right? And I think both have really influenced the Western occult mystery traditions and witchcraft and Wicca and all of that. Um, I don't think you can get away from either one of them if you're really being honest. And I just kind of like to know where the good stuff that I'm doing comes from, right? Mm -hmm. So I identify as a witch, I'm Wiccan, um, but theosophy is a part of it. And so is hermeticism in a weird way. They're like yoga, they're not actual witchcraft, but they're mm -hmm. parallel paths. Theosophy is interesting though, because it's a philosophy that looks at all of the various different world religions and is trying to find the place where all of these spiritualities go back to this one wisdom religion that used to be. Mm -hmm. And so they're trying to find their way back to something that was very unifying. Um, there are Christian theosophists, there are Jewish theosophists, there are witch witches who are theosophists. If I were ever going to identify as a theosophist that way, I would definitely do it as like a witch who studied theosophy. Mm -hmm. But I just had questions in Wicca and witchcraft that I couldn't answer. And hermeticism answered them, right? Like Franz Barden's initiation into hermetics answered mm -hmm. so many questions. And then the other parts of the questions that I couldn't answer, theosophy had the best explanations for why they couldn't be answered. It didn't really say, this is the thing you're looking for. It said, you're not wrong for struggling with this. Here's why. And so it made me really have to like know my own spirituality better. Mm -hmm. I love that. And personally, I, I find I... I wouldn't say I'm a hermeticist, but I vibe with the hermetic philosophy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, it really makes a lot of sense to me. And on my reading list is the Corpus Hermeticum. So that's like Gosh. next. So I'm, I think it's on my Amazon list. Like I, I want to read that to, I think, get a bit more out of it. So even just reading your book and how you've, I, I guess, drawn these parallels and looked at how other things are explained through hermetics and theosophy, it's been really, really intriguing and eye-opening to, to have those comparisons. So. Thank you for including that in there. Thank you. <laughs> now, I did want to chat about the chakra system as well. So I mm -hmm. use chakras in my own work and practice and would love to talk more about it with you. Firstly, um, for anyone listening, again, chakra is Sanskrit for disc or wheel and refers to energy centers in the body. Uh, most people refer to the seven chakra system, uh, which is the root, sacral, solar plexus, heart, throat, third eye, and crown chakras. But the question of the day, in your opinion, uh, is it cultural appropriation to use chakras as a white westernized person? I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Um, so let's be clear about chakras, right? Mm -hmm. So when you look at the most traditional version of yoga and the, the sacred texts that have influenced it, the chakras aren't really what we think they are. Um, the closest I can get to understanding them as a witch is that the chakras are energy centers in the astral body mm -hmm. that align with the physical body in some way, shape or form, right? But in those ancient Vedic texts, 
they talk about how the chakras don't really exist unless they're paid attention to. So the astral body is fluid in its movement and it, it changes according to thought. And so when you focus on your astral hand, the astral hand shows up, right? If you're not focused on that, you don't pay attention to it. It's as if the ether or the astral doesn't manifest that unless it's called upon. Mm -hmm. And so these ancient Vedic texts actually talk a lot about these energy centers, but they're not in the like exact locations we've placed them. That presents a really interesting discussion about whether or not this is cultural appropriation or not, because what the theosophists did, and if you really trace the history of chakras in the West, it does start with the theosophists and then it solidifies in like 1992 with Shirley MacLaine. I mean, I know that's a weird way to phrase that, right? But like the theosophists read those ancient texts understood the things and then kind of realized that Westerners weren't good at the abstract and they, they weren't going to grasp that so well. And so they came up with, here are the places on the human body that power seems to reside. Let's talk about how that's related to this other system. What sort of happened though, is that took on a life of its own. And the Western consciousness really cottoned on and then made it into its own thing. So today, when I use the chakras, which culture am I actually looking to? Am I looking to the one that's Western hermetic or am I looking back to the Vedic? And I think it's so convoluted, I can't tell anymore, right? Um, of course, I'm not a fan of cultural appropriation, but I don't, I don't know that I'm a good person as a white cisgender male to ask that question of. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Does I that make sense? Yeah. And I think it's a good thing just to, to talk about and to be aware of and have that sort of conversation going as well. I've definitely researched this myself because it's something I, I do not want to culturally appropriate. And there is a lot of information out there of people saying it is and it isn't. And that can be tough as well. So from what I have read myself is exactly what you've said. It's been totally changed. So the chakra system that the West uses is not what was in like it's not the same thing, right? It's different. It's evolved. Um I don't know if evolves the right word that probably no, no it's changed. It's, changed. it's morphed, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. So it's almost like it's become its own thing, if that makes sense. I mean, it's been used for over 100 years now in the West. So it, it does have its own sort of basis there as well now, but it is totally different. So from what I've read that, um, and you've included in your book as well, the Hindu deities to focus upon for each chakra. So what I've read is that's what they originally were, was a way to access deity in each like that's the deity resided in that energy center of your body and you could focus and sort of connect him with that deity um so I think that was the the origins from the tantric chakra system correct me if I'm wrong um that people could connect him with deities in that way is that something you've read as well yeah so um it depends on the branch of yoga one of the things that people struggle with is or one of the things that people in the west struggle with is that yoga is not yoga 
-hmm. Yoga is a bunch of different traditions, initiatory lines that make up yoga, right? So like you've got Vajrayana. I, I never say that right initially, but you've got Vajrayana, you've got Hatha, you've got tantric you've got all of these things and they're all initiatory in very much the same way that witchcraft is initiatory if you're looking at one branch of witchcraft but you've also got this other branch of witchcraft that says well no that's not true at all right like you can be self-initiated and then you got this other group that says absolutely not that's not okay yoga is very much the same way in terms of how they how people perceive their own version of yoga so in one branch and i don't remember which one but in one branch of yoga you're very right in others they don't even concern themselves with that and so when i was looking at it i thought to myself you know that's something that lines up with witchcraft you know we've got these gods yoga has gods We've got the energy centers. Yoga has the energy centers. Let me look at where this universal occult wisdom is coming from. And let's, let's give people something they can focus on that allows them access to this thing they might not be comfortable with initially, right? Mm -hmm. The question about like the cultural appropriation thing, I often have to ask myself as a yoga teacher, is anybody in the West culturally appropriating yoga? right? Mm -hmm. If you're not Indian, if you're not Buddhist, if you're not from Tibet, are you culturally appropriating yoga? And at what point does it become so universal the world over that it's no longer cultural appropriation? Mm. So I really kind of tried to veer on the avenue of the witch for this one, where it's like, these are practices that witches will do let's take the wisdom of this other ancient tradition and use it to augment the witchcraft. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It does. Um, there is, if anyone out there is not comfortable using the chakra system, there is an alternative, which I found very fascinating. It was in uh, the book Psychic Witch by Matt Oren, uh, and he uses the cauldrons. So there's three cauldrons and they, uh, you know, one is basically over the, the crown, the third eye and the throat chakra. Then the middle cauldron is the, uh, the heart chakra, the solar plexus. And then the, the base cauldron is going to be your sacral and your root chakra. And, and so he, you wanted to say something? Absolutely. So that's very comparable to Taoism and mm -hmm. inner alchemy. There's, there's all this stuff in inner alchemy that talks about pooling the energy in these centers mm -hmm. so that's a very clever way for a witch to kind of translate that into a western model yes and he did that really cleverly i i would love to have him on the show because i want to talk to him about whether he created that or if it was influenced by something or if it comes from his tradition i'm not sure but it was yeah. fascinating and it was a really interesting visualization method as well to to tap into those without tapping into it the way i was used to doing it if that makes sense um, but yes, from what you said just before, the fact that it's almost become so universal in terms of yoga and the chakra systems, has it transpassed passed from that, I guess, that cultural appropriation? And again, I don't think either of us can make a call on this. This is just opening <laughs> conversation. <laughs> I, 
don't think we're qualified. No, yeah. we're not. Um, <laughs> and look, I will, if anyone knows any guests out there that I can invite on the show to talk about, absolutely hit me up. Um, but I think it's interesting to just make sure everyone is thinking about that sort of thing and that we bring it to the forefront of our minds and we look into it ourselves before, you know, taking from another culture or utilizing it. And I think there's a difference when you utilize something in your own practice, as opposed to when you decide to start like, um, I don't know, teaching on it or um, claiming it as your own and those sorts of things. So yeah, it's very interesting. Um, so switching it up again, how do you combine your yoga practice with the wheel of the year? So in the book, right? Like I give you the sun salutations and all of that stuff, right? I talk about goddess poses. I talk about poses for the God. I talk about, you know, this is the theme of this Sabbath versus this sequence, right? Because in yoga classes, you'll often talk about sequencing a class along a theme, right? Like I want to open my heart. And so you'll do heart openers or you'll talk about love and all of these wonderful things. And you'll do these heart openers or you'll talk about, detox and you'll do twists right so I kind of look at what is the structure of the wheel of the year what is the theme of the season I'm in and how do I find poses that will help me do that right so for example as somebody who studies the male mysteries the 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 light coming back to the earth and and then again disappearing and going back into darkness is very symbolic of male power, right? And so starting with sun salutation A in the winter right, and then doing sun salutation A and B at the summer right, where they're directly opposite each other, and I've got more sun at summer and less sun at winter is a really simple way to look at that. But I might also say, you know, the energies of spring are about renewal. They're about coming back to life. They're about all these things. So my practice as a witch might be more rigorous in the spring and summer and much more contemplative in the fall and winter. Mm-hmm. Right. I love that. It, so I kind of look at that that way. It's, um, just, I know you're talking about the male mysteries, but if we look at women's mysteries as well, and this idea of cycles. So uh, from what I've learned, and I'm not an expert on this part at all, um, but when we look at our inner hormonal cycles, right? So a male cycle is a daily cycle. So you go through your inner spring, summer, autumn and winter uh, on a daily, right? And usually your winter cycle, the hibernation time is overnight. That happens Mm -hmm. whilst you're sleeping. It's sort of natural. Whereas women, it's more of a 28 day cycle. It's a lunar cycle. So we we have an, an inner winter, which is usually whilst bleeding. And then we go straight from that into the inner spring, which is when things start to speed up. They get a little bit lighter than the inner summer. That's when things are like really ramped up. You've got all the energy. You can do all of the things, (laughs) eat whatever you want. (laughs) And then Uh go down into the autumn. And that's when things start to, you got to start eating some warm, like root vegetables, that sort of thing, slowing it down a little bit. And we go into winter and that's when you rest. So it's interesting to almost like place those uh, feminine and masculine wisdoms side by side they're the same idea just on a different time scale and then looking at the the year as a whole doing that same thing for all of us as a, an outer season right so we have our inner season and then our outer season 
and following along with that and then using our body's movements to wind it all together. So it'd be interesting, especially for um, the time of day that you choose to do these. If you're a man, you might do um, the sun salutations in the morning on, you know, your summer solstice. And if you're a woman, if you're during your inner winter on the summer, summer solstice, then it's going to be almost like different. So maybe you do a, a do it at nighttime. Right. So it's, see, I think that's so cool, that cool. Right. Like that's what I mean about yoga and witchcraft as two parallel paths. Mm. You, could, you could mix this up any way you want. Yeah. I think it's fascinating. It's, it's very clever. And so this episode is due to be airing on Lamas in the Southern Hemisphere or Imbolc in the Northern Hemisphere. Can you give a brief description or depiction on a way listeners could incorporate yoga into their celebrations? So, okay. So again, we're back in the witchcraft. Do we all agree contingent, right? So (laughs) let's just for argument's sake, talk about Imbolc as like a time when the world's coming back, right? Like the first showings of spring. It's not quite here, but it, and it's actually feels like the dead of winter on the East coast of the United States, but it's the beginning of spring. And then Lamas is actually the beginning of autumn, but it feels like the dead heat of summer, right? Mm-hmm. So there's this weird um, illusion happening that feels really beautiful, but also weirdly disjointed. Like you're suddenly realizing it got dark earlier than you thought, or it got light earlier than you thought, right? So at one, I might look at, let's say, let's start with Imbolc. I might look at, okay, this practice should be an internal practice. It should be something where you're starting to feel your body again, and maybe like getting comfortable back in your body. It may not actually be all that physical at all. It might be more along the lines of a meditation with some pranayama. And pranayama for people who are listening is the, the, it it deals with sacred breath and how to utilize breath as a practice, right? So it might be more about warming yourself up with something like breath of fire. And then in the summer stuff or like the beginning of fall with llamas, you might look at, okay, so now I need to like calm down, cool off, or I need to be really productive. And I think it depends on the witch, right? So Mm. if you're really more focused on the fall is a time for contemplation, your practice with yoga might look a little different. If you're more focused on the fall is a time of abundant harvest, your practice would be much more physically motivated, invigorating the body, getting the body to be um, energized and not necessarily more sexual, but revving up that generative force. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah, I love that. I, I think I personally definitely am on the uh, revving up and harvest, you know, getting ready for this big harvest, that sort of a vibe at that time of year. Um, and in that time, my own cycle as well, just, yeah, rather than the contemplative, I think I put that in my winter basket. Yeah, <laughs> right. But, and it, but it's yeah, so yeah, it's different for everyone. It's it's fantastic. Um, I can, and I'm, I'm now like my brain is going a million miles an hour of like, 
oh, I can do this. And, you know, we've got summer solstice coming up and maybe I can add this in. And I think I want to put breath of fire on my summer solstice yoga flow. Like <laughs> you absolutely should. Yeah. It'll, it'll make it turbocharged. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a wonderful way to do a summer solstice, like prep for a summer solstice mm-hmm. or even to get yourself revved up for the magic. There was one time I used Breath of Fire as the way to raise energy for the oh, spell. That would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. That would work so well. That's, <laughs> I just love yeah, using breath just to do, you know, either just a warming up or a cooling down in your body is just so fascinating, depending on what you, you need to do as well. We can speed up, we can slow down. If you want to do some dark, you know, black mirror scrying, maybe you do a real slowing down, you know. If you're working with candle magic, you're doing your breath of fire and then that's all coming together. Like, Oh, so cool to think about. (laughs) Well, and what's cool is the, the sacred breath is actually something innate to both traditions, right? Like yoga is an eight limbed path, right? And breath is one of the eight limbs, but sacred breath shows up in witchcraft too, Mm -hmm. right? Sacred vows and like, the, the words you intone and how you intone them, the barbarous words of power. And you see these similarities between these two traditions. But what's interesting is breath shows up in almost every religion mm. as sacred. Like the, the Jewish concept of naming it to claim it requires you to speak. Mm-hmm. And so you've got all these really beautiful places where these wonderful spiritualities and traditions are lining up that's really kind of universally human Mm -hmm. there is a very interesting book that this I've got to tell you the two things that are happening in my brain at the moment actually first thing you said yoga is an eight-limbed path and I had a beautiful image of an octopus named yoga (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so thought I'd share that. Uh, the other thing, uh, when you're comparing these religions, especially, so uh, there's a fantastic book uh, that I once read called Anatomy of the Spirit, and it compares the chakra system with the Jewish Kabbalah, so which is um, Jewish mysticism, uh, mm-hmm. and also with Christianity as well. And it compares each of the chakras with uh, almost like a sacred rite or something like that, or the tree of life. Okay, um, so yeah. the tree of life has ten. But two of those are double, so like a masculine, feminine side, which coincide to just one of the chakras. I don't know if that makes any sense when hearing what I'm saying. Makes sense in my head. Um, And then when you look at, for example, Christianity, so if we look at the heart chakra, that would be uh, marriage is the sacred rite of the heart chakra. When we look at something like the uh, the root chakra in Christianity, that is going to be when you are dedicated. So your parents or, um, you know, in Catholicism, it might be, uh, that's when you're, you're christened. Um, but in Christianity, it's you, you get dedicated to the path by your tribe, by your family, by the people that are raising you. Uh, so it, it goes through all of these, you know, sep- these ways of bringing them together. It's, it's the same spiritual idea, the same vibe, uh, you know, throat chakra is when you become ordained, if you become ordained. So it's very, very intriguing to see these similarities between them all and these like universal truths, like you were saying as well. I love that. I think that's really wonderful. And I wish we would find more places where we had those points of agreement and Mm -hmm. be less focused on where we disagree. Yes, I agree. Absolutely. 
Now, for anyone who wants to to purchase your book, it is a Llewellyn book, so you can uh, get it on their website and I'm sure on wherever else you can buy it. It is called Magic from the Mat, Using Yoga to Enhance Your Witchcraft. It is a fantastic read. Uh, oh, now, where where can people find you online if they're wanting to, to get in touch with you or follow along with you? So all of my social, let me speak well, right? All of my social media is at the Gala Witch. Mm-hmm. So you can find me there on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, on TikTok. You can find me on all of them. Um, You can also find me at my website at caseygiovinco.com. Fantastic. Thank you very much for joining me today here, Casey. It's been a joy. I have loved our conversation. Now I'll I've pop fun too. <laughs> oh, it's been so much fun. I will pop all of the links in the description box for this episode. So if anyone wants to, to find you and follow along with what you're doing, they can do so there. Uh, if anyone listening, if you haven't yet, please leave us a rating and review, especially on Apple Podcasts. It helps so much. Uh, if you'd like to book in with myself for a tarot or astrology reading, you can do so at suburbanwitchery.com. You can also find me as suburbanwitchery on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube. Facebook, all of those things. Uh, Now, I do want to mention as well, we have a podcast specific uh, Instagram as well. So I've started that. It's just Witch Talks Podcast. So have a look at that. Uh, I do link it often in my normal one as well. So you can follow along through there. Message me if you can't find it. And uh, yeah, hopefully you can follow along and see some of the little snippets and things that I'm going to be releasing for each episode. And you know, I'll share maybe pictures of the books of the people that I've got on the, the podcast as well. So that can be really fun as well. Anyway, thank you everyone for listening and we'll catch you all next time. Oh,